Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And today, Lou, we're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who's our senior correspondent and addresses the economy and economics. He's also the um, chief economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, good friends of ours, where we met him at a conference. So we look forward to talking with Chris because he always adds a touch of humor to lighten our discussion. Even though you do, is that, you do respond to me as, as senior correspondent, a guy turns 65 and you just can't let him alone, can you? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not really. I, I have to contradict you. 65 is not when you're a senior. 75 well, is I, when you're a senior. So you've got another <laughs> 10 years to go, which puts me at about 85. <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. Well, I, I just read the other day that the World Health Organization now has a designation called the Young Old. So between 65 and 80, you're young old. And then I guess you're just like really damned old. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure I understood anything you just said. That, <laughs> that being said... It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the World Health Organization. What do you expect? So. Uh, what are they, you know, what is that part of the UN or something like that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, yeah. black helicopters or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Trump will take care of that and do away with it. Yeah, I'm. You, yes, you know, I'm global. Sure. Right. Yeah. Well, we we could embellish this, Chris, and say we're meeting with Dr. Chris Keel, who was uh, excavated from a tomb in India. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, now is I'm that what? State here. So here we go. Is that where he got all of his economic um, input from? You know, from being a great. He was around at the time of the Lions. That's where we all get it. I mean, you know, that's all economists. You know, that's it's all in the tomb somewhere. That's why they call it the dismal science. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's uh, let's get this show because no one's paying for all this bad humor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll right. hope not feel about it, uh, Chris. How, how are things looking for them in their dark gray corner of the office? Exactly. Well, it actually didn't look too bad this, this particular month. I mean, if you've been following along, which I'm sure the alert listeners have been, it's been kind of a roller coaster. You know, we have an up month, and we have a down month, and we have another up month, and then we have a down month. We've not really been able to set any kind of a trend, either positive or negative. Last month, we had really good numbers coming in on the manufacturing side. This month, manufacturing was down, but the retail service sector was up. So we're still in search of a trend. Um, What seems to be really propelling a lot of the growth and a lot of the the activity has been what I would term reactive. Um, It's sort of looking at the first quarter GDP numbers and comparing those to the numbers that we're seeing with the CMI and even the PMI, you seem to have a lot of artificial stimulators. Um, 
a lot of what was going on with growth in the first quarter was export-oriented. You had a lot of inventory build. That seems to be a response to anticipated tariffs. Uh, we've been seeing this a lot with our members where worrying about whether it's going to be a tariff down the road, they're taking on more stuff than they normally would just to protect themselves. And it's a good move if the tariffs indeed are imposed. If for some reason they aren't or they're delayed or altered, all of that extra buying could come back to bite them later, um, that they're holding on to inventory they won't know what to do with. The retail rebounds seem to be connected to a kind of a consumer coming out of the, the end of the year funk Again, a little bit anticipatory, uh, trying to do things a bit ahead of the game. So it's it's still leaving us a little bit in a state of quandary. We don't really feel like we've set a direction yet. And so we just look forward to next month going, well, gee, is it going to be up this month or down? If it follows the pattern of the last year and a half, it's going to be down again because it was up this last month. So with that as a predictor, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's probably going to rain tomorrow. How come? Because it was sunny today. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, right. so, Chris, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, being that you started off with uh, tariffs and such. Um, yes, yes. So, so considering that today is uh, Wednesday, two days before Friday, uh, May uh, 9, uh, 10, sorry. Uh, so what do you think? Is he, is the man in the White House going to actually implement an increase in the tariffs? Or is he just you know, jerking around and trying to confuse us all? Well, the pattern thus far has been that it's, it's probably not going to happen. Eighty percent of what he has declared he's going to do, he does not do. Um, so it's either a negotiating tactic or it's what he's trying to do to put pressure on a situation. Um, on the other hand, 20% of the time, he actually does follow through. If I were a betting man, I would say that the tariffs will not be imposed on Friday, at least in their current form. Um, there's sort of a consensus view that Imposing 25% tariffs on this particular set of Chinese goods would really slap the consumer right in the face. Um, most of the tariffs up to now have not really affected consumer goods. This bunch would. And you're talking about $40 billion worth of stuff that goes into the Walmarts and the Targets and the Amazons of the world. And, and that's going to attract the consumer's attention and not in a good way. On the other so, hand, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that you've also got the kind of the end of the negotiation tactic in play, that the reports that have been coming out up until this point indicated that China and the U.S. were very close to something and that they were just working out the fine details, blah, blah, blah. And it's not uncommon in any of these negotiations to have one last moment of drama as you're trying to kind of edge one more concession. Um, it's a good sign, I think, that the Chinese are still coming to the U.S. to finish negotiating. I think if they really bought 
that they were going to be greeted with tariffs on Friday, they wouldn't be here. Because if the tariffs are imposed while the Chinese are here, it is a tremendous slap in the face. And, and I don't think that they would tolerate it. So if the tariffs are imposed, we're going to see counter-tariffs instantly. And, and those could be very painful. So do you feel as though that um, Mr. Trump is uh, this is all just game playing? It feels like it to me, but that's that's been the pattern so far. And it's again, it's not completely unusual. The thing that's been most unusual about the way Trump has negotiated is that most of this stuff usually takes place behind closed doors. Um, if mm-hmm. you read any of the conversations about how trade deals are made. I mean, it's, it's, it's the old adage, there are things you don't want to see being made. One of them is sausage, the other is law, and, and probably the third is trade deals. So we've never been privy to this kind of back and forth and you know threats and counter threats. But now it's all being played out in public, and, and we're sort of taken aback. Um, we sort of knew this is the way it's done, but we've never really seen it quite so graphically. But it also mm-hmm. tends to make it hard for countries to make deals because everything they do is public. And and the Chinese are kind of like, well, you know, we're not really comfortable with, with the, the public part of this because it, it ties our hands, but it also ties American hands. So I think it's partly the way he tends things tactically um, and it's partly fairly common negotiating behavior okay so we're going to have to now wait until uh, uh, Friday or Monday to find out if you are anywhere even near being close to a protection right. that uh, right and uh I'm going to be off the radar scope myself for about a week or so um, uh, due to uh, some personal issues. So I'm not sure that uh, if I was a betting man, which I am, I would bet that he's going to impose the tariff. You would not be alone. But when I read the assessments that are coming out from various interested parties, um, they point out that these types of threats have been made before. Uh, this one seemed to take his own negotiating team a bit by surprise. Uh, it was, well, he always you know, does one of that. His typical, yeah, I mean, he always does that, but he, he normally seems to leave a little bit of legal room for, for that group, and this was you know one of his typical weekend tweet storms. And, <laughs> I mean, I think it's almost significant that this comes immediately after complaining about the Kentucky Derby. You know, it's like, okay, so are these on an equal basis? You know, are they both a threat to the existence of humanity? I don't quite get it. Um, so... You know, my rational side wants to say he's not going to plunge the economy into into a negative space over this. But my other rational side says, yeah, but he's done stuff like this in the past, and he could very well do it again. So. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're very clear on your opinions. Yeah, uh, well, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's one of those things that if you if you try to be very bold and say, by God, this is going to happen. That's when someone comes back and says, well, you said this was going to happen, so I got messed up and I'm going to sue you now. 
And it's like, no, yeah. don't want to be sued. I'm an economist. Um, I don't read the future. <laughs> so. And you're a two-handed economist. I am, as we all are. Um, you know, <laughs> one, one learns after a while. You know, not to, you know, the the amazing question may have worked for Johnny Carson, doesn't work for us. <laughs> all right. So why don't you tell us about the. Uh, a credit managers index and see if it uh, uh, aligns at all with the Institute of Supply Management and all the rest of the uh, 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 economists who are, you know, stepping up and giving their uh, opinions. Yeah, I think it's it's fairly fairly closely tracking. I mean, you saw a little bit of a decline with the PMI this month. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing very drastic. But just a a signal that there's there's some trouble ahead, and that's sort of been the story since the first of the year. Is that there are reasons to be concerned. There are headwinds. There are you know chronic problems that have not been adequately dealt with, and they tend to accumulate. So I think if you look at some of the reactions that we were picking up in the in the CMI. Again, the favorable numbers were continuing to be favorable. So sales were up, and we saw good numbers when it came to dollar collections and all that stuff. All of the distress was in the non-favorables, which are accounts out for collection and disputes and bankruptcies and slow pays. And that just indicates and has consistently through the years that segments of the economy are still not doing very well. And when we dig a little deeper, we can tell that it's sectors like agriculture. It's the fact that the automotive sector has flattened out. Um, aerospace has taken a little bit of a hit as as the suppliers try to figure out what's going on with Boeing. Um, you've seen retail hang in there pretty consistently, but even it started to slow. Because of the retail numbers, when they went up, the number one reason they went up was that people were paying more for gas. So the gas stations were making more money. Well, that's good <laughs> for retail numbers. It's not good for the people who were paying more for gas. So it's but the, those but the, the increase of, the increase of gas prices, isn't this the time of the year that the gas companies raise prices because summer is coming, spring is coming, and so on and so forth? You've seen some of that, but you've also seen a reaction to oil prices in general going from the kind of the low 60s up to the upper 70s into the 80s. Now, they have bounced around and have come back down, but during this period, you have seen things like Russia and OPEC reducing their output. You've seen problems in Libya because the civil war has expanded. You've seen issues in terms of production in Iraq, and then probably the biggest one is is Trump increasing the sanction pressure on Iran by indicating to countries that were buying oil from Iran that they shouldn't do that anymore. And when you yank the third largest oil producer in the world out of the equation, it has an impact on prices, not as much as it used to. I mean, if this had happened four or five years ago, the prices would have been over 100 bucks a barrel. But you've had enough of an increase around 45 to 50 cents a gallon nationwide that it's not crippling. You know, you don't see motorists, you know, going on strike. But 
it's enough to skew the retail numbers. So everyone says, yay, retail is doing very well. Well, yeah, that's because everybody is paying an extra 50 cents a gallon for gas. <laughs> so it's it's good in a way for the people that sell gas, but not necessarily for the ones that buy it. You know, uh, Chris, one of the things that I really love about you is that everything that you present to us is a, a very broad-based and in-depth uh, analysis of what's going on. Everything that you just said for the last three minutes, I have not heard, and I'm a news junkie, I have not heard on mainstream media. And if I'm not hearing it, that means there's a lot of people not hearing it because they don't even go as deep as I do in listening to That's that kind true. of news so it, it's really amazing that you're bringing all the and tying it all together. And I hope that our audience really understands uh, and appreciates the analysis that you're you're giving us. And I, I do appreciate well, that. Well, you know, and it's always kind of odd because it's out there, but it's not. You're right. It doesn't necessarily hit the mainstream. You know, people will That's ask true. me frequently, you know, where does this come from? And it's like it's not terribly exotic it's going to be things like the financial times of london it's going to be the economist magazine it's going to be reports more from industry journals than anything else i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's not that it's hidden necessarily but if you're trying to follow the permutations of the oil and gas industry well you almost have to read what's coming out of the oil and gas industry because i think the challenge for the mainstream media is that it takes too much explanation. You know, they want to get something into very short sound bites. And when you start going down the the path of, well, you know, it's the Libyans and the Algerians combining with the Russians. I mean, it's like, you know, you can see their entire audience going, God, is, is, is Wheel of Fortune on yet? Um, <laughs> and, you know, so... It, they lose it, and then you sort of have to go to the people who are, you know, pouring over some newspaper or publication that really appeals to the to the to the real junkies out there and and people who don't have any other real work. I mean, in, in my case, this is all they do. You actually run a company, but you know, um, which I'm assuming takes a few hours a week. I'm just guessing. Yeah, just you know, seventy, eighty. Hours, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. That's daily. <laughs> but, but seriously, the the information that you and uh, others give us, including the Institute of Supply Management, you know, that information is so invaluable that uh, it it gives great insight into those who uh, are busy running businesses and don't understand uh, how they should be so focused on right. things that they don't know about. Yep, it's true and and it's I appreciate the opportunity to to talk about this to an audience that cares. Um and that's the experience that I have when I'm giving talks to people at the FMA and the like is they all are aware of this stuff but they have duties. I mean they're in most cases they're a chief cook and bottle washer when it comes to their own company. And right, don't right. have a lot of leisure to sit around looking at newspaper stories. Okay, so aside from patting all of ourselves on the back uh, yes. as to how how great we are, so what do you, what else you got? 
Well, I think the the message going forward is is essentially that we're we're in a decent place. I don't think we're in a position that we can kind of rest on our laurels and think the whole year is going to be good. Um, there's mm-hmm. a few things about the first quarter that are a little bit non-repeatable. I think second quarter will continue to be pretty strong because traditionally it has been. But then the slowdown is likely to begin in third quarter, maybe extend into fourth. Um, one of the kind of ongoing challenges is just reacting to the politics, not only here, but elsewhere. Um, we have issues as far as China is concerned. We've got issues as far as Brexit in Europe is concerned. All of those things bounce back to the U.S., and we've talked about this before. This is an economy that is 15% dependent on exports. Japan is 14% dependent. So we actually depend more on it than Japanese do. The world market is going to determine how successful we are the rest of the year. So if the Europeans are down, the Japanese are down, well, we won't be able to grow as quickly as we would like to. Um, So now all eyes are kind of focused on, on the rest of the market and hoping that it rebounds and recovers. So let me ask you, being that you brought up Brexit, does anybody really care anymore about Brexit? You know, we're we're sick of hearing about this. They're, they're coming to no conclusion. It's not on the mainstream. It's not even on BBC. It's not even on the uh, Economist. What's going on with that? Is, is this, well, you know, it, it, I know we have yeah, a, it, I know we have a new prince in England. Uh, <laughs> numbers. He's number seven in line for the uh, throne. Uh, so. Who, who cares? What's happening there? Well, the thing with Brexit has been that its course is drug out for a long time because it was unexpected and it has very significant implications. The thing is that it has already altered dramatically um, what's going on with Europe and the U.K. It's mm. essentially cut the British off from Europe. No matter what happens, no matter how they work it out, that is no longer a, a relationship which means that Britain has to turn to the U.S. for its market of the future. And that has huge implications for the United States. It means that we're going to see more production coming into the U.S. from the U.K. We're going to see more U.S. companies buying up U.K. companies because it now becomes a very cheap platform for U.S. manufacturing. We have been expanding to low-cost locations for decades, Each of them brought their own problems. We had to deal with language barriers. We had to deal with cultural barriers. Now you're talking about expanding into a manufacturing country that speaks English, from which our own laws were derived, and it's the new Mexico. It's the new China. And you're going to see a lot more competition coming from the U.K. simply because they have no other game to play but the one that involves us. How does the economy look? And we were talking with the Institute for Supply Management Committee chairs uh, earlier, and they're looking at you know 2.4, 2.5% GDP. And I guess that's a good number when you're looking at a you know, $19, $20 trillion uh, economy. Uh, what does it look like from your perspective? Yeah, I think that's about right. And that's what our norm has been literally for the last two decades. We will periodically jump up into the threes for a quarter or two. Uh, We certainly have had quarters when we've been below 
two, but not very many. And our norm has been 2.4 to 2.6. And as long as we're in that range, we're doing okay. It's, it's not the kind of growth that is going to overcome obstacles. It is not the kind of growth that is going to kind of rectify mistakes. And the way I describe it is this kind of growth rewards companies that know what they're doing, kind of stick to their knitting. It is the kind of growth that punishes companies that are not very good. And that's where you get concerns about bankruptcies and the like, is that it's not, it's not a forgiving rate of growth. It's not one that's going to address our debt and deficit. You know, people talk about growing out of that situation. Not at 2.6, you don't. Um, if you want to grow out of debt and deficit, you're talking 4 or 5% growth consistently for several years. We're nowhere near that. And it just kind of throws that whole argument back to saying, okay, if you want to deal with debt and deficit, which apparently nobody in Washington does, but <laughs> should they ever... Um, they are going to have to bite the bullet and either raise more money through revenue and taxes or they're going to have to cut spending dramatically. And the only way to cut spending that dramatically is to go after entitlements. Um, so either way, it's the third rail of politics. You're either talking about cutting Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, or you're talking about doubling the tax burden. And any of those decisions mean a whole lot of politicians out of work. Now, personally, that doesn't bother me, except that we'll just replace them with another <laughs> one. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm all for the, the technique of throwing a dart at a phone book, and whoever it hits, you're the new senator. So if the economy is, you know, doing well, uh, Lou, I know your business is doing well. Um, what's your comfort level in uh, the rest of the year? Uh, you're talking to uh, Chris or me? Mr. Lou Wise, president of the okay. Mills and Sports Group, our All proud right, well, sponsor. Well, I'm glad you're giving me the floor. I'm certainly not the expert that uh, Chris Keel is, and I'm not as funny as he is. So that being said, let's go to your uh, one of your graphs that you have in your report, uh, and I'd like to discuss a couple of points. One was sales. Sure that uh, April uh, took an increase from 61 to 50, from 58.2 to 61. Uh, we're taking a look at new credit applications, which uh, mm-hmm. are, is all important and indicative of increased uh, business from 57.8 to 59.7. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, dollar collection from 56 and change to 59 and change. So all these things are really looking fairly favorable, um, but yet I'm sensing that uh, we have some headwinds. Yeah, and that was my point earlier, is that three of those that you mentioned are all what we call the favorable factors. And, right. and they're all, as you say, high 50s, low 60s, you know, better than they've been in a long time. Mm-hmm. And all right. of the danger signs are in the non-favorables. You know, part of, of this also goes back to the point I made earlier, that you've got a certain amount of activity that has been kind of preemptive. Um, we've seen a lot of companies just having contingency plans when it comes to tariffs. I mean, for example, if you're Walmart or Target or something and you think that these tariffs are going to be imposed on on Friday and they have been anticipating that they've been imposed at some point, 
Well, you beef up your inventory. You know, you don't want to come into a situation like, oh, no, we weren't expecting these tariffs. I guess our stores will just have to be empty. They're not going to tolerate that. So they have been buying in bulk ahead of time and anticipating the tariffs. Now, like I said, this is going to be a great strategy if the tariffs are actually imposed because then the Walmarts of the world will have protected themselves for a while. If, however, the tariffs are not imposed or are removed again after they're imposed, then they run the risk of sitting on inventory they can't sell. And we're just kind of waiting to see if if the reaction to the change makes sense or if it ends up being premature. And I think the biggest frustration for business right now, and it's the biggest source of, of consternation, is they just don't know. If they knew for sure that the U.S. was bound and determined to get the Chinese to comply and we're going to put those tariffs in come hell or high water, well, then they would react to that and they would say, okay, we know it's coming, we're going to prepare. But instead, they get it, well, we're going to do well, now we're not. Yes, we know. Yes, well, now we're, no, okay, we're not now. Yes, we are now. No, no, yes, we know. And, and the company is like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? You know, are you doing it or are you not doing it? Make up your mind. You know, this may work in politics. It kills in business. You know, business can't go in two directions at once. And and that's been a complaint all along. Just pick a policy, Mr. President. Pick one. Stick with it for more than 24 hours. And please stop tweeting. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna step in this, and uh, I, I'm, I really don't want to because 50% of our uh, listeners are on one side, and 50% is on the other side. The point is that. Uh, it, it we we don't know which way it's going. Uh, we have no idea as to how he's going to play his hand. And uh, yeah, you're right. Pick a policy, but I'm not sure that the policies are pickable. And that yeah, it, and that's a problem. It's very challenging. It is because you know I've I've written about this extensively. We're in a kind of a unique place and have been. For years with China, you know, we are dealing with a country that we are fundamentally hostile to. You know, their political system is anathema to ours. It's a totalitarian state. It is a state that routinely commits horrific human rights violations on a daily basis. We're in a military confrontation with them. They go out of their way to back people that we don't want back. I mean, the Venezuelan coup would have taken place were it not for the fact that the Chinese poured money into the Maduro government. So on almost every level, we are in an antagonistic relationship with China, except when it comes to economics. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, well, we really don't like them in any way, except we like their stuff, and they like to sell us their stuff. So it's a very odd relationship and at some point it's probably going to have to break one way or the other it's either going to have to be we're tired of dealing with these totalitarian people we don't want anything to do with them anymore we're going to cut them off we're going to take whatever it takes to, to do that or we're going to have to throw our hands up and say okay we need their stuff and we're going to put up with the other stuff that they do because we need that that market 
we haven't made up our minds which way to go. And, and I don't know that we're in a position to make up our mind to your point. Um, but it's getting to the, to the level where the business community is like, well, we're caught in between one minute. You're telling us to go ahead and do business with them. And the next minute you're making it very difficult to do that. So it's, and a lot of companies have made their own minds up. You know, they've just pulled out of China altogether. You know, they're sourcing elsewhere. They're bringing stuff back to the U S or they're sourcing it from India or they're sourcing it from Brazil you know, or, or someplace else. So maybe some of these policy decisions will be made some other place other than the political leadership. Maybe the business community would simply say, I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere well, else. Well, it's hard to function a business and uh, uh, plan for futures when your supply chain is uh, in, in question. And uh, yeah, exactly. that, that's, that's exactly where we're at right now. And uh, no, that's right. yeah, yeah, um, it's just uh, something that's uh, we've never experienced to the level that we have now. So mm-hmm. this, this is a, a serious uh, problem. And, and the other the other part of that is that the the decisions that are being made are only 24 hours long. As it changed, it changes. Well, and I think some of that is is indicative of the fact that you have compelling arguments for both sides. I mean, mm-hmm. even if we did not have kind of the mercurial behavior of the president, you've got very powerful forces both pushing for their approach. I mean, you've got people mm-hmm. who really, really, really don't trust China, and I don't blame them. And then you've also got people who are saying, yeah, I get it, but we have done business with countries we don't like before. And, you know, you've got billions and billions of dollars at stake. I mean, it's there's an awful lot of people who, with hindsight being 2020, say, you know, we never have should, should have gotten in bed with these people in the first place. You know, that when we had a choice between China and India, we should have chosen India. And But India seemed chaotic and confused because India was chaotic and confused and still is. And China just seemed a lot more organized. So, And it still is. But it's, it's kind of like, yes, the Chinese are very efficient. Just ask the minorities that are being exterminated. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Chris, you mentioned India. You know, with the tariffs on Chinese goods, has there been a significant shift to, to India for sourcing? I know that the Indians have been uh, rushing into the U.S. saying, hey, we're here, we're here, buy from us. Yeah, there has been a pretty significant increase. You know, the, the weakness in India has always been their transportation infrastructure. You know, they mm-hmm. just they lose out when it comes to total landed cost because it's so costly just to move things across India, much less out of India. The ports and the roads and the railroads are not in good shape. But when the tariffs are in place against the Chinese, that kind of levels the playing field a little bit for the Indian companies. And something that needs to be kind of reiterated and, and Trump has unfortunately muddied the waters here 
he keeps talking about the tariffs as somehow the Chinese are paying the U.S. these tariffs. It doesn't work that way. You know, there's no exchange of money between governments. It's a company in China who is producing something, and now what they're producing is going to carry a 25% additional tax. The Indian company is not going to have that tariff sitting on top of their product. However, their total cost may be close to what the Chinese cost is because of the infrastructure challenges in India. The tariffs would even the playing field a bit between the Indian and the Chinese company, and Indian companies are taking advantage of it. We're seeing a lot more in the way of clothing and textiles and building materials and a lot of that stuff that traditionally ends up in the Walmarts and and the Targets. I mean, I just casually was walking through a Walmart the other day, and I found 35 products that were made in India. And I don't know that I would have found that, you know, even two or three years ago. Interesting. That is a significant uh, change in course. Well, Chris, we kind of wrap up this segment for us. I know that it looks like the economy's stable throughout the balance of the year, hopefully, if nobody does anything stupid to screw it up, whether it's our government or some radical organization. How's it looking to 2020? Well, my advice to the listeners and to all who care about such things is to strive for mediocrity. You know, we we are probably not going to see a dramatic change up or down. You know, we're not looking at a recession this year, probably not one in 2020 either. Um, We're not looking for a boom period. So right now it's like, you know, we we are just probably going to be right smack in the middle, ordinary, mediocre, nothing to see here, move on, and and that's that's probably not a bad place to be for now. Um, just kind of let some of these issues settle out a little bit without anybody losing their head over it. So the bottom line is uh, for our listeners, just hold fast. And take yes. advantage of the status quo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's behave the way that businesses tend to behave anyway, which is caution first. You know, very few companies kind of leap into the unknown without thinking it through. And if it feels mm-hmm. funny, don't do it. And if it is a customer that you've been dealing with for a long time and the sector looks healthy, but just you know, keep your eyes open and watch for things that that could change the rules. I mean, things like tariffs, things like you know, even natural disasters. You know, it's it's the the no one expected the impact on aerospace that the Boeing problem created. Um, it's solvable at the end of the year. It will no longer be an issue. But in the meantime, you know, Boeing is is not producing planes. And every company that is supplying Boeing is waiting for the 737 MAX issue to be solved. And this is not mm. somebody, something anyone planned at the beginning of the year. Well, taking all of this into consideration, uh, I think that uh, our listeners may want to make contact with you. Uh, so why don't you give us a uh, contact information so if they can, I would if they want to reach out. Sure. Let's they go can. For it. My telephone number is 
And a probably even more reliable way to get in touch is by email, and that is chris dot k u e h l. So first name, last name, at armadaci dot com, and that's a r m a d a c i dot com. So if you have trouble remembering the company, just think of the Spanish fleet. And it allows me to leave with my famous joke as to why the Spanish Navy has glass bottom boats so they can see the old Spanish Navy. <laughs> uh, Chris, you, you should have, you may have missed your calling to be a stand up comedian. Uh, you don't talk dirty enough, though, for that. So, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how well, good my, you'd be. My at. wife always. My wife always thinks that I miss my calling as a as a you know refuse collector, but you know that's just her opinion. Well, we we don't always count the, the wives' opinions because there's a lot of <laughs> yes. history, you know. So that's true. So so that being said, uh, and I never said it, so uh, let's yes. not even deal with that. Uh, Chris, it's uh, been great talking to you again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be talking to you next month. Uh, Tim? Very good. Thanks again, Chris, for joining us. Thank you. Talk to you guys later. Alrighty, bye-bye. You'll be well. And we've been we've been talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who is, by the way, an economist with Armada Corporate Intelligence. That's what the CI stands for in their domain name. We always appreciate having Chris on the show. He does offer some incredible information you won't hear anywhere else except here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we encourage everyone to come to mftalkradio.com and take a look at the information we have, as well as Jacket Media Co. JacketMediaCO.com, which is our corporate parent, where we are sweeping together a lot of the podcasts that we do and adding more new ones every month. So enjoy what you find there. And we again thank our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.